You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary South. We exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission by seeing the lost redeemed, the redeemed matured, and the matured multiplied for the glory of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarysouth.com. Um, we're going to be turning back to the book of Genesis again, uh, Genesis chapter 5. So if you would grab your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 5, that'd be awesome. If you don't have a Bible, we have plenty to slide your hand up. Our ushers would love to bring you one so that you can be in God's word with us, learning from him, hearing from him as he speaks to his people through his word. Well, as you're turning to Genesis chapter 5, I want to ask you the question, maybe this summer you've had some time to to take some time off and maybe sit in a lawn chair or or have some kind of rest somewhere and just some time to think and some time to contemplate and ponder. But let me ask you this, as you had that time to think, um, do you ever ponder your lifespan as a human being? Do you ever wonder why it is the way it is? That on average, we only live about 80 years in this world. I believe the average lifespan in Canada is, I think it's 79.9 for men and 82 for women with very few making it into the 90s and fewer than that making it into their hundreds. Like relatively speaking, when you think about our lifespan, 70, 80 years or more, it's, it's a pretty short existence. And that it seems the older you get, time just keeps going by faster and faster. Like I remember being a kid waiting to go to the pool or waiting to go to the park or waiting to go somewhere really exciting. It just seemed to take forever for that clock to turn to the hour that we could leave and go. But the older you get, time just seems to be shortening. The years seem shorter. Every time you turn around, seasons are changing. I mean, just couple weeks ago, I was at Costco, and they've got the Christmas trees out already, the decorations out, the music playing, and it seemed like that was just a couple months ago. It seems like time flies all the faster as you get older. Things that were five years ago, um, or that you think was five years ago, was actually like 10 to 15 years ago. So that that old saying, time flies, is really true. And uh, we hear it all the time, life is short, the Bible says that it's but a breath, even as we saw here in Psalm 144 being read today. As many reach the end of their lives, they often wish, wish that they had more days, that people would live longer than they do. It seems like our world is obsessed with longevity. As we look at our text today, we're going to witness some really interesting things. As we're in Genesis chapter 5, as we look to Adam and his offspring, we're going to see that they were living like over 700, 800, 900 years. Even the oldest man, Methuselah, that we, that's in record, was 969 years old. Just imagine living that long. Imagine all that you could have witnessed and accomplished and observed in this world and experienced. And I'm quite sure that after 969 years, Methuselah, Methuselah was just like, well, okay, that's enough. It's been long enough. If we could live longer, do you think that that would be better? Even if we could just live twice as long as we do, wouldn't that be better? And if that was so, how would that change the way that we live? How much more would we try to get done? How much more would we try to experience and witness? And especially, how about as a Christian? How much more would we 
want to get accomplished for the Lord and his, and his mission? How many more disciples could we make if we just lived longer? And so just think about that. If you could live longer, how would that change your life? Well, friends, the reality is, is that as much as we may want more days, more years, more life, life is short and death is always looming. Life is fleeting and death is still reigning. Last time I checked, 10 out of 10 people die. And so as much as that may bring us anxiety or fear in this world, how are we as God's people to live in light of the reality of death? How can we truly live in a world that is so cursed with death? And so as we turn in the scriptures today to chapter 5 of the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, and as we now witness the genealogy of Adam on down to Noah through this chapter, what we're going to see is, is that if we really truly want to live in a world where death is reigning, we're going to have to approach it in faith. The three things we're going to learn today just up front is going to be this. God's people are to be reflecting. God's people are to keep walking. And God's people are to keep hoping. Because the way that we live speaks volumes into a world of death. And so Genesis chapter 5. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Kenan were 900 years, and you can say this with me, and he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Jared were 962 years, and again, he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. 
Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Methuselah were 969 years and he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your abundant grace and mercy that you have poured out to us by revealing yourself to us through your word. As we turn now to the book of Genesis, the very foundations, the very beginnings, your introduction of yourself into this world, as we look at these genealogies, we may ask the question, what is there to learn from a bunch of genealogies, a bunch of lineage? Well, as your word is is all-powerful, as it is breathed out by you, We know that you deem to do work through your word that can only be done through your word and by your spirit. And so we pray for for faith to be produced again today, that you would be producing repentance and faith in us. And we do ask you, Lord, to teach us from what you have revealed. Be with our hearts, open our eyes to the truth, open our ears to hear. And let us follow you with our feet and with our hearts every day from here until eternity. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Yes, Genesis chapter 5. The way we live speaks volumes into a world of death. So if the way we live speaks volumes into a world of death, how then are we to live? Well, as we witness the words of the Lord here, on the heels of the very first death in chapter 4, and with the certainty of death for all that we have just read through this whole list, this lineage of, of people dying, we're going to see here that through uh, Moses, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he takes us back to the very beginning, and he takes us there to teach us, to admonish us, to remind God's people that to live in a world of death, we need to keep reflecting That in a world of death, we have an ongoing responsibility to represent the Lord. And so we're going to look here starting in the first five verses. Where it starts out here, it says, this is the book of the generations of Adam. Which if you may recall, if you look back to chapter 2, you can see that it begins quite similar to chapter 2. Chapter 2 verse 4 says... These are the generations of the heavens and the earth. Friends, as Genesis is the self-revelation of God, and it's also the revelation of how he created the universe, it's also the historical record of humanity. It's the historical record of lineage. We see, we see genealogy going on here. We see the beginnings of humanity as God begins to populate the earth. In fact, last week as we witnessed the genealogy of Cain in chapter 4, as he was cast even further out of the garden, further out of God's presence because of the murder of his very own brother, 
The Bible recorded his line of cursed descendants down through six generations. And this whole generation's language you're going to see is going to be repeated throughout the book of Genesis. He records the lineage of of Noah in chapter 6, verse 9. The Bible records the lineage of his three sons in chapter 10 and chapter 11. Then it goes on to record the generations of Terah in chapter 11, verse 27, the generations of Ishmael in chapter 25, the generations of Isaac also in chapter 25, Esau in chapter 36, all the way to the generations of Jacob in chapter 37. What we see here is that the Bible, yes, is primarily theological. It's about God, but it's also historical. And so as the Israelites, the first to hear these words spoken to them by Moses, we remember that they're wandering in the wilderness and they're wondering if they're ever going to get to this promised land. Part of God recording the lineage here is so that they could have assurance. So they could have this theological understanding, but also grounded in history that God's promises are good and that they will be fulfilled. And so as the text says here, this is the book of the generations of Adam. After that horrific incident with Cain murdering his brother, one would then question, how could God's promise still continue? And so Moses starts again with the beginning, and he writes, when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God, male and female, he created them, right? Not only Adam, but Eve, male and female, created in the image of God. And then it says that he blessed them, and he named them man when they were created. So he goes back to the very beginning, back to chapter one, to say that even though sin has come into the world, even though sin has led to the expulsion of them from the garden, even though sin has led to this first murder, right, this first destruction of the image of God, through murder, that Adam and Eve, though they are cursed by the fall, are still God's creation, that they are still his idea, that they are still his plan. They're created in his likeness after his image, and they are his representatives on this earth, right, in order to reflect his goodness, to reflect his glory, and that they also are still blessed just as he blessed them from before the fall at the beginning in chapter 1, verse 20, 28, God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And so as we see Moses here grounding the story upon the foundations of God's original command and blessing, what we see next is that Adam and Eve, despite that immediate disaster that they just walked through, They continue on in their faithfulness to follow through, to keep reflecting the Lord. Verse three, it says, when Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image. And he named him Seth. So what we see here, even more than what we saw with Abel last week, is that this new son, 
without even a mention of Cain and Abel, this new son is a new start. He is a new hope. Right? As Eve is the mother of all living, as she had such hope in Abel, a new hope is found in Seth. And this is even more stressed, even, even further, as he is described to be, be fathered in such a way that this son is, is fathered in Adam's own likeness, after Adam's image. And so we see this divine image-bearing responsibility being passed down to Seth as he is intentionally fathered to best reflect his own father as his father reflects the heavenly father. Verse four, it says, the days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years. And he had other sons and daughters. They would have had many sons and daughters throughout their massive lifespan. Verse five, thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years. The first man ever lived 930 years. So right out of the gate, friends, what is to be learned in this first section, bookended by the death of a son and then the death of the first man, is that amidst the shadow of death now that is brought into the world, mankind still has the ongoing responsibility of being image bearers of God himself. This was his responsibility from the beginning, and it's his responsibility that is handed down to Seth, and it's the responsibility that is handed down to all of God's people. That's all you here who are in Christ. That is your responsibility to reflect the image of God. And so from the very beginning here, we see that we need to keep reflecting. We have the ongoing responsibility to represent the Lord as Seth would have had to have faced the evil all around him. Just think about the lineage of Canaan and the effect. Remember, he's building cities, they're creating culture, they're writing music, they're producing art, civilization is expanding, but it was also amidst the line of Cain. We also learned from last week that there was no sign of those from Cain turning, turning, to, turning to the Lord. So we see here Seth being called to shine the light of God, the the reflection of God's glory into the darkness, to reflect God's holy character through his own holy living. He is to be trusting the very word of God, the same thing that his parents failed to do. He's called to learn from them and to trust the word of God, to take him at his word. He's he's to, 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 to go against any kind of worldly attempts to undermine God's word, any kind of serpent kind of lies. And he's also called to long for the one to come, the one who was promised in Genesis 3.15, who is going to come and to crush the head of the serpent. And then with that, he's also called to take dominion of the earth, multiplying God's likeness and image wherever he goes, as his father did in him. Friends, the lives that we are given are very short. As I mentioned earlier, they are comparatively shorter than what we see here in Adam and this whole list of of genealogy here. Like when you think of Adam, he lived to the ripe old age of 930 years old. And then Seth himself lived to 912 years. Our lives are so short in comparison to those lives. And yet it's still so easy for us to forget 
to minimize or even reject our greatest calling, our highest calling in this life, which is what? Which is to reflect the glory of God in this dark and decaying world. As Seth had to make choices like anyone else, to either believe his father's instruction, to accept his father's direction, or go his own way, we're all faced with these decisions in life, the main decision of whether or not we're going to follow in the way of the Lord, the decision of whether we're going to actually represent him and reflect his image into this world. We got this choice. Are we gonna, are we gonna represent him or are we gonna represent ourselves? Are we gonna represent him or are we going to represent this world? Sin. Friends, as Seth was fathered in the likeness of Adam, And in the image of Adam, this was the great passing down of the divine image-bearing responsibility. And this has been passed down to you and promised to you through faith. And so the question is, like like the passing of a baton in a race, have we embraced that divine baton of the divine image-bearing responsibility that is thrust into our hands by the Holy Spirit? Have we responded by gripping on to that baton of faith for all that it's worth in the strength of the Spirit? Have we embraced our greatest purpose our whole life, starting in the new birth to final death, that we are to be those who are reflecting the glory of God with just the mere moments that we have been given, this short life that we have been given? You know, Jesus taught in Matthew 5, 14 to 16, He says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is this divine image-bearing responsibility that is passed down to followers of Jesus Christ. And friends, it is far too often that we treat our faith as if it's just about us. That it's a private thing between me and my God and my eternity. But that's not the faith that we see going on here. That's not the faith of a true Christ follower. No, to be stamped with the image of God is to reflect his divine image wherever we go so that those in the world would know and see the very glory of God all over you. That you are, yes, you're from the world, but you are no longer of the world. That yes, you are a sinner, but you're no longer a slave to sin. That you are, yes, created in the image of God, as all people are, but more than that, your mind has been so renewed by him, and your heart has been so changed by him, that his holiness and his glory shines through. That where once there was only sin, there is now righteousness on display. That his goodness is now proclaimed in word, in deed, as evidenced in your life. That as you go to work, that as you go to school, or you just go to the grocery store, wherever you go, it is so obvious that you live for Christ. Right? To live is Christ, to die is gain. To live is holiness. 
To truly live in a world so cursed with death is the love of God that is being poured out through you that he so faithfully pours into you. And so friends, do you want to know what's truly attractive about our faith? That is. That's what's attractive about our faith. Friends, our faith speaks volumes into a a sin-cursed world. Paul taught us this in 2 Corinthians 2, 15 to 16. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death, and the other, a fragrance from life to life. And so as you think about your life and and what you profess about the Lord, what aroma are you giving off? Whose image are you reflecting in this dark and decaying world all around us? Is it death to death or is it life to life? For Seth, all we know is that he reflected the image of his father who reflected the image of his father. And so the question on our minds as we even go through the next week, we need to be asking ourselves in our prayers and in our meditation and as we approach our workday and we approach unbelievers, whose image am I faithfully multiplying in this world? Friends, the darker it gets out there, and it's getting darker with every waking day, the darker it gets, we must keep reflecting all the more. Now, as much as we can commit to reflect and commit to represent the Lord, the truth is that this is not going to happen apart from abiding in the Lord. And so as we look to this next section here, as we look to the genealogy of Adam through Seth all the way down to Lamech, In verse 26, 27, we ask the question, what can we learn from a genealogy? Like sometimes we open the Bible to a genealogy and the snoozer goes on. Like, oh, come on, let's just get through it. Just get to the end. But there is much to learn through genealogy as you look to it through Scripture. Genealogy is not just filler. It's not just necessary. It's not just a record. It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. And as we look at this genealogy, we're going to see that something stands out amongst the record. You probably caught it already. Somebody stands out. Somebody stands out in this whole reign of death, and this is going to teach us that in these darkening days, that with the ongoing responsibility to represent the Lord, we also need to keep walking with the Lord. We have the ongoing privilege to abide in the Lord. And that's, we're going to see that here, verse 6 to 27. And I'm going to read this again. And every time that the text says, and he died, you guys are going to say it out loud, okay? That'll, that'll help us get through this together. So we're going to read it again. Verse 5, thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel 840 years and had other sons and daughters. 
Thus all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Jared were 962 years. Okay. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Methuselah were 965 years and he died. So what can we learn from this genealogy? Well, the first thing you can see is that there's a lot of repetition going on here. There's a lot of repetition in this genealogy. In fact, what you see here is a reoccurring pattern being used over and over again, which is highlighting each of the main descendants of Adam on down to Lamech, who would also father Noah as well. Notice how the author gives the age that they were when they were fathered, when they fathered, when, or when they fathered their token descendant. And then what you see is the number of years being recorded, how long that same person then lived after they fathered that token descendant. And then it also mentions that they had other sons and daughters, which is a good thing because they didn't just have one living these hundreds and hundreds of years. They would have had so many sons and daughters. And then you can see the age at which the author, which the author records that that particular patriarch died. And so starting with Adam, we see that as, as God was so merciful and, and gracious to him, even in light of his sin, God gave him a whopping 930 years of life. The judgment for eating of the tree had finally come to its full fruition, that Adam would certainly die. God does speak truth, to which he finally and certainly did die, at the ripe old age of 930 years. Now for him, it doesn't mention how many more other sons and daughters he would have had. He would have had many more. Even when you think about his sons, his sons had wives, right? Which would have been Adam and Eve's daughters. You might say ick, but we were starting, he was starting to populate the world. Nonetheless, what we see here is that Seth was born to Adam in Eve in chapter four, and he is now the new promised offspring than that it was going to be through him, through this, that this line of promise would carry on. And so from his loins, we have Enosh, then we have Kenan, then we have Mahalalel and Jared and Enoch and Methuselah, and then we have Lamech, and then we have going all the way down to Noah in the last couple of verses. These are all the patriarchs of promise from Adam, the seed of the woman, all living extremely long lives in the mercy and the grace of God. And if you were to calculate the average lifespan, the average lifespan was 856 years. And that's a long time. 
For those that wish that they could have more time, just imagine what you could do with 850 or 900 years. Now on a side note here, because you probably have questions, these kinds of numbers should shock us. Like, what in the world is going on here? I've never met anybody in my life or heard of anybody recently living this many years. Like, when I think about life, I think 90 is a pretty old age. But 900? Come on. Like, Methuselah, when you look at the life of Methuselah here, he lived 31 years short of a millennium. That's insane. So for us, as we're studying this, is this one of those examples where the Bible is just making stuff up? Like, nobody lives that long. That's impossible. And friends, I would agree. I have that that same kind of tweak going on in your brain when you read that. Like, how possible was that? Like, nobody lives that long any longer. Like I said earlier, the average lifespan in Canada is 82. So what's going on here? And can we believe it? Well, without getting carried away, some have tried to explain uh, this away, that that perhaps the years were shorter back then, or that time and dates were being calculated differently according to maybe the Sumerian kind of a calendar, or they were using some kind of Babylonian-style mathematics, or at that time that each patriarch listed on that list, didn't really, it didn't really speak of his longevity of life, but rather his family legacy. Some kind of speculate that. That maybe their years were only just kind of symbolic. Some believe it was tied to astronomy. But friends, as many have tried to explain away this lifespan, lifespan problem, especially in the last century, let me just ask you, can it just really be that they lived that long? Can it just be what the text clearly says? I mean, I took a close look at the Hebrew text for the age of Adam, and it said in Hebrew, it said, Teshemiah Shana Sholashim Shana, which means 900 years and 30 years. A year understood at the time of the writing of this Bible, a year was 12 full cycles of the moon. In fact, as you look at the great details of the flood, and when we go to chapter 7 and 8 and eight later, what you're going to see here is that a year, according to those chapters, is about 360 days. And so, just as we took God's word as his word from the very beginning, right, when we looked at the creation of the, the world in six days, right, there was evening and there was morning, the time that it takes the earth to rotate on its axis was, was 24 hours. And so we take God's word as his word. And so therefore, we also apply that same logic when we take the year as a year. A year was actually understood to be the same kind of year that we experience right now. And as you look at the rest of scripture, that's how long a year is. And so these people truly lived extremely long lives. Now, why? I mean, primarily, I believe it's because God was populating the earth. He created them, and and they lived extremely long lives. Just think about the amount of kids they would have had over, over that lifespan. I mean, they're having kids in their hundreds of years. Also, perhaps before the flood, 
If we're trying to think of it scientifically, maybe the atmosphere was different. Maybe the climate was different. Maybe the biological conditions of the planet existed in such a way that life was just prosperous. Maybe the deterioration of cells didn't degenerate as quickly as they do today. Maybe the effects of sin and disease and degeneration weren't as destructive yet in the very beginning. Whatever the case may be, what the text says is that they'd lived long and that these are real numbers. And then as quickly as chapter 6 We also see God shortens man's days. This is also a a helpful verification. If you boost forward to chapter 6, verse 3, you see it says, The Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. I recently checked, and I believe there's a, a man in Venezuela who is 121 years old right now. I mean, that's the oldest person I could think of. Man shall not abide in, or my spirit shall not abide in man forever for his flesh. He shall be 120 years. And so we see this initial launch of massive lifespans. And then you see very, very shortly here in chapter 6 that man's years are reduced to 120. And so as much as people can try to explain away or speculate, if we can believe that the whole universe was created in six days, it shouldn't be a stretch that God would make humans and allow humans in the beginning to live such really long lives. And I mean, when you think about it, as we were originally created to live forever with God, 900 years seems pretty short. And so without missing the point, let's get back to what's really important here, which overwhelmingly is this. We see the reality of death at work. That even though these people were living such long lives, because of sin, they were dying. Right? As God said, you will surely die when you eat of the tree. Well, what do we see here? They were surely dying. In fact, in chapter 5, we see eight times here, we see that phrase that you repeated, and he died. This reminds us of Romans 5, 12 to 14. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. Because there's sin, death reigns. In fact, as Paul goes on to expound death and sin, he would say that death was reigning from Adam all the way down to Moses. And so we see a legacy of death going on here. But then, as you look closely, as you look at this genealogy closely, you see an anomaly. You see something that stands out amongst all of this repetition of death. And so let me ask you, what is it? Who is it? Who stands out? Which one of these things is not like the other we used to sing on Sesame Street? Well, it's Enoch. Enoch stands out in this genealogy as different, as distinct. And when you're studying scripture, when you look at the structure of what's going on here, even in this record, you see something that stands out, and that is to make a point. The Holy Spirit is making a point here. Verse 22, Enoch walked with God, and he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. And so we see that unlike all the others who lived about 900 years, Enoch lived 365 years. 
It doesn't mention that same phrase in his life. It doesn't mention that phrase, and he died like all of the rest. No, instead of dying, what we see here is that Enoch walked with God. And then the text says, and he was not, which just simply meant he lived no longer on the earth. It didn't say he died. It just says he was not. Why? Well, as the text says, it says, for God took him. So what it seems here from the text, as distinct and different from all the rest, as death was reigning, it didn't reign for one person. As death ultimately took the rest, the text says Enoch was taken by God, meaning that he bypassed death, and he went to be with the Lord. And so one has to ask, what's going on here? What's so special about Enoch? Well, as Enoch and only one other person in all of Scripture, Elijah, are said to have been taken by the Lord, escaping death, what we have here is a very rare but intentional act of God. It's meant to stand out in this narrative, to highlight something extremely important for us. It's to highlight something about God. It's to highlight that something pleases him. And when you think about it, you think about God taking Enoch, we just start out that, that God is sovereign. The ultimate reality is that God is God, right? Psalm 115.3, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases, right? If he chooses to take someone to heaven without them dying first, that is his ultimate prerogative because why? Because he is God. But because this is so extremely rare, we need to find out what, 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 the, what is the Lord teaching us here? And what are the clues in the text as to why he would do this? And so as you look back to verse 22 and 23, you see twice here a statement. It says, Enoch walked with God. Enoch walked with God. So where the other patriarchs are described as merely living, instead, Enoch is described as walking with God. And friends, this is significant. This is what stands out in this genealogy. Because as the rest of Scripture would attest, and especially for the listening ears of the Israelites, they knew that to walk with God is more than just living and existing. The phrase, to walk with God in the Bible, means that you are really close to God. It speaks of a deep, abiding, intimate relationship with the Lord. It is the ultimate life that God desires for you. It's a life of faith. It's a life of obedience. In fact, the Israelites would have known from a Levit Leviticus being taught uh, in the law, in Leviticus 26.3, God said to the Israelites, if you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them. So there's a walking going on there. He also says in chapter 26, verse 12 of Leviticus, and I will walk among you and be your God, and you shall be my people. Life in the Lord is described as an abiding, walking, moving along the path together kind of a life. God taking the lead and us following his every move. This is a close, personal relationship. Paul taught about this in Colossians 2, 6 to 7. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord... So walk in him, 
rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. So to walk with God means to abide so deeply in him that it ultimately pleases the Lord. In fact, the word for walk here in the Hebrew, halak, speaks of communion. It speaks of intimacy. To walk with the Lord is to truly walk by faith. In fact, Hebrews 11.5, the New Testament author harkens back to Enoch to teach us that this is all about faith. Hebrews 11.5, by faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. So you see this, this walking, when you're walking with the Lord, this brings the Lord pleasure. And so with this example of Enoch being taken up, which, friends, is not a norm to expect, but it's a rare example for us to learn from. What we are to learn and apply here is that walking with the Lord pleases God. Right? More than just living, more than just existing, the goal from God for us is that we would deeply abide in him as he works in us. Right, last year, as we studied Philippians, Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you both to will and work for what? For his good pleasure. And friends, this can only happen when we give ourselves to a deep abiding dependency on the Lord. It's that John 15.5 type of abiding, right? Where Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Friends, this is the type of walking that pleases the Lord. And so by way of application, we have to ask ourselves here, are we living in that way? Are we living in a way that pleases the Lord? Are we so enraptured by his mercy and grace that God would even want to know us personally? that we can't help our feet and our hearts but to follow him? Friends, what Enoch experienced here would have been the closest thing to what Adam experienced in the garden before the fall. Right, Walking and talking and communing with the powerful, holy creator of the universe. Friends, this is the ultimate goal of your life. Knowing God is the ultimate goal of your life. It should be. And so we ask ourselves, are we abiding? Are we truly seeking him? Meaning, are we looking for him? Where do we do that? We look for him in his word. Are we studying him? Like not just filling our heads with knowledge, but studying the Lord to know him. Are we regularly in his word to know him? Are we studying his character? Are we going to his word to learn every glorious detail about our creator and characteristic of his nature? And friends, are you hearing from him? And when I say hearing from him, I'm saying opening the pages of scripture and hearing the Lord speak through his word. Are you hearing his voice? Are you hearing him speak through his word? Are you hearing what he reveals about himself? Are you hearing about his will for you and his way? Do you hear from the scriptures that you are called to, to pick up your cross daily and follow him? 
that you are to hang on his every word and you are to respond in faithful prayer, speaking to God, calling out to him, casting all your cares upon him. Because why? Because he cares for you. Confessing sin, repenting, turning, glorying, finding your joy in him, singing his name. And what a friend we have in Jesus, we sing. All our sins and grief to bear. What a privilege to tarry. That's walking everything to God in prayer. Friends, if you're not giving yourself to walking with him, you're not truly living. No true life is to abide in the Lord, to walk with him. Therefore, hear from the Lord, keep walking. Keep on walking. The days are dark. Keep on walking. We have an ongoing privilege to abide in the Lord. This is a privilege. Don't waste it. And so as Enoch stands out here, there is one more name that we need to highlight in how we are to live amidst this reign of death. So friends, as we are to continue and to keep reflecting and keep walking, we also need to keep longing. Keep longing. We have the ongoing assurance to hope in the Lord. Verse 28, we see here, when Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah. And then listen to carefully as to what he says about this son. He says, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. And then verse 30 says, Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And we're going to learn so much more about them in the coming weeks. But as this genealogy here closes out by highlighting the name of Noah and this bold statement from his father, right, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Friends, what we witness here is that God's promise to bring salvation, to bring his people rest is coming. Remember, we learned about a Sabbath day of rest, the seventh day God rested. There is a promised rest coming. Friends, rest is coming. And Lamech is looking to his son and saying, this is the one. God's promise to send one man to come and crush the head of serpent is being even further revealed here in the scripture. This is progressive revelation. It becomes clearer and clearer as the scripture unfolds. As Eve cried out last week, right? I've gotten a man from the help of the Lord. We see Lamech crying out, this is the one, this one. We're seeing him believing here. He's hoping. By faith, he is trusting that by God's grace, this son, his own son, Noah, who, by the way, the, the name Noah means rest, and the name Noah, even in the Hebrew, sounds like another word for comfort, rest and comfort. He's hoping, he's believing that this is the one. That out of the ground, right, really referring to another man, right? Do you know that the word Adam means lumps of dirt? Out of the ground, another Adam, out of the ground that God cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. 
Friends, as the pain and the toil of the fall is still having such a disastrous effect, and as the judgment of death is reigning across the whole breadth of humanity, the hope we see here at the end of this genealogy is narrowed down. It's narrowed down. Out of thousands and thousands of people of potential offspring at that time, all of this potential offspring of the seed of the woman, we see that Noah is the one through which this promise will come. And as we know the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say, we know that it was through one man, that it was through one family, that the Lord would save humanity from their wickedness. We're going to study that coming up in the, in the coming weeks, right? We're going to witness that the extreme wickedness and corruption of man is spreading and the world needs judgment. Mankind needs to be rescued from, it, from himself and from God. He needs to be rescued from his, pale and his, or his pain and his toil of sin. Friends, as it was back then as well, our world today is suffering under the repercussions of our sin. The world is growing more and more wicked day by day. And the fallout of sin is crushing and destroying and it's causing much suffering and brokenness. There is disaster at every turn. Friends, our world needs relief. Our pain of living in this reign of death needs relief. Our sin has so infected ourselves and it has so stained the entire universe that creation itself is groaning under that weight. Right? If you read Romans 8, that's where you see that. Creation is awaiting. Creation has eager longing for redemption. And that's what we hear in the words of Lamech. We hear hope. We hear longing. Right? In the anguish of the suffering and the effects of the fall, we hear a longing for one. A son who would bring relief and rest. A belief that this one, this one will do it. Now although salvation by judgment comes through Noah and his family and the flood, we're going to learn about that in the coming weeks, the, in, the lineage here and the story of Noah isn't the final answer. Lamech was hoping for an answer. It was to come through his son, but the answer was to come much later. The answer that Lamech was looking for would be greater than Noah. The answer would be greater than anyone who would come after Noah amidst this line of promise except for one. Friends, as Noah's ark of wood would save humanity from final death in the beginning, it was through the wooden cross of Jesus Christ, soaked by our Savior's blood, that would save us from eternal death. As Lamech is calling out this one, hoping in this one, friends, Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one. As we look at Lamech, we even see that he lived, what, how many years? 777 years. That's pretty significant. The number 777 is a very perfect kind of a number, reflecting perfection. 
His longing for relief and rest could only come through a perfect one. His longing for relief from the pain and toil of the fall would only come through the exact imprint of God himself, Jesus Christ, the very Son of God. The one who said, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Friends, as we look to this story, what can we learn from a genealogy? One stood out, and another name stands out at the very end. The hope is in one, and it's this one. It's Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for gathering us here this morning. We thank you that your word is always true, that your word is always living and active and powerful. We're thankful, Lord, that even in a genealogy, you you, you point and you highlight out something so important for us to, to know, which is walking in you. If we learn anything else this morning, as we are to reflect you and to walk in you and to hope in the only one, we pray that the name of Christ would resound from our lips, that as we walk out the doors here today, that as we walk out into a lost, dying, decaying world around us, that we would be hoping in the one, and that what we say and how we live and how we reflect you, how we walk in you, would just resound to the world around us, that there is one, and that there is only one through which the world can be saved from their sin. That the pain and the toil and the suffering of death and disease and destruction and sin has its answer in only one. God, we ask you for strength from your spirit to help us to be bold. As Paul prays for boldness in Ephesians, we need boldness, God, to not only abide in you and walk in you, but to also reflect you boldly in this world. Lord, would you convict us deeply of how we, how we walk by people every day in our life and we don't share the greatest news ever. I pray that you would start with me and with our people. You've given us a mission to make disciples of all nations, to teach them about Jesus, to baptize them. And God, would you be continuing to do that work here May this next year, as we step out into a new school year, work year, all these kinds of things, may it be focused on the one. And then as we focus on the one and we abide in him, may you just put fuel into our feet and into our voices that we would grow in holiness, but also just spread the good news of Jesus wherever we go. As Lamech was hoping, we hope as well. We thank you in the name of Christ. Amen.